Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. Our desire at MOF PHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that he will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. for the opportunity to be here. It's been 10 years since we held a revival here. Um, me and my friend Aaron, we traveled everywhere during that time. Um, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. And I just looked at him and I said, maybe we need to go on the road again. Um, because we have enjoyed worshiping with you already tonight. It's good to be with Pastor Kevin again and, and Pastor Jeff and all, all of the pastors uh, that are with us tonight. I'm always privileged to be able to preach to pastors. I'm privileged and intimidated, and um, but I'm glad that all of you are here. I have some of my church people here tonight, my youth pastor, Pastor Will, and his fiance Dawn and uh, just several of our church people are here tonight and we're glad that they are here with us walking in the door right now is the prettiest baby you'll ever see that's my girl right there and her mama's waving that's a pretty woman um, I'm glad that my wife and my baby are able to be here tonight and my mom and dad are here as well. I could just keep naming people who are here, but let's just uh, say that I'm glad all of you are here tonight, and I pray, and I've been praying all day that the Lord would help me be a blessing to your pastor, to his ministry here, and to this congregation. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to read a strange opening scripture. I want you to keep your Bibles with you. Turn in them. Turn them on. Whatever format that you have tonight. And we're going to start in the book of Matthew chapter 1. The book of Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to read a couple of verses there. And uh, then we're going to go to an Old Testament book. And spend most of our time there tonight. I know we've already prayed. But will you join with me one more time in prayer. And I want you to pray for me that God would give me the words to say to you this evening. Father, we love you. We thank you for the worship and how the atmosphere has already been set by this praise team. And Father, I thank you for Pastor Jeff and his ministry here at Mount Olive First. I thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the privilege to stand behind this podium. And Father, I pray that as we look to your word tonight that you would anoint me with a fresh anointing. I pray that you would speak through me to your people tonight. And Lord, when we leave here, may we leave encouraged. May we leave edified. And may we leave refreshed and revived in our spirits. And for what is accomplished, we'll praise you and glorify you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, if you are one of those people who read through genealogies in the Bible, 
so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so, and they begat so-and-so. You are more spiritual than I am. I just glance over, and to make myself feel better, if I see a name that I recognize, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. But I usually just skim over those genealogies, but this is one that we don't want to skim over tonight because Matthew 1 and 1 says that this is an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if we were to read in verse 2, we know about Abraham, we know about Isaac, we know about Jacob, but I want us to go down to verse 5 where it says, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. And of course, we know that the Bible says Jesus was of the house and the lineage of David. I want to talk to you tonight about redeeming love. Redeeming love. How many of you like love movies? Sappy love movies. My wife does. And it's not very often that we get evenings at home and we don't pay for cable. So we watch Netflix and Hulu. I'm more into the clown in the sewer type movies. I would much rather solve a mystery. I've watched so many Criminal Mind episodes, I could kill you tonight and get away with it. But my wife would much rather take the tissue box out. And by the first five minutes of the movie, you know how it's going to end. You know that that guy in the beginning is not going to end up with the girl that he's with in the beginning. But he's going to end up with the girl that he secretly wants in the end anyway. We love love. Well, the Bible is a love story from beginning to end. One of my favorite Old Testament stories to preach through is a beautiful love story and it's the story of a woman named Ruth. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to start in Ruth chapter 1 and we're going to read through a couple of things and I know that if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard a preacher preach on the book of Ruth and so I'm not going to share anything tonight that will leave you saying, wow, he really unpacked it tonight. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Ruth chapter 1 and starting in verse 1. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. Now, the interesting thing about the famine is where the famine was taking place. A man left Bethlehem in Judah. Bethlehem means house of bread. And there is a famine taking place in the house of bread. There's no bread. 
in the house of bread. And we're introduced to a man and his family. He's got a wife and two sons. And the Bible says here that he left Bethlehem to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. Now get this. Anytime you see Moab in the Bible, it's a type of the world. Verse 2 tells us the man's name. The man's name was Elimelech. Now, names in the Bible were very significant, and the name Elimelech meant, my God is king. But you would have never known it by the way he lived. His wife's name was Naomi, and that means pleasant. The name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. I read that and think about Mirlax and Chili. (laughs) My church would be just pastor, no. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there, okay? So they are from Bethlehem, the house of bread. This man whose name means God is king takes his wife whose name is Pleasant and their two sons and instead of trusting God in the midst of famine, instead of believing that God was able to bring bread back to the house of bread, he took his family to Moab which was a type of the world and look at what happened verse 3 Naomi's husband Elimelech died and she was left with her two sons this happens so many times when parents get upset at the pastor or a decision made by the church and they say well if that's how it's going to be we just won't go back And so they lead their family out of the house of bread and lead them into Moab. And after the kids grow up and go to college, they find their way back. But they have instilled in their kids that church is not important. And so they may come back to the house of bread, but they leave their family in Moab. So... Naomi's husband Elimelech died and she was left with her two sons. Verse 4. Her sons had took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah. The name Orpah means stiff-necked. And the second was named Ruth. Ruth means beauty. So we've got beauty in the beast. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. So the only person left in the family is Naomi. Naomi is standing at the tombstones of her whole life. As if it wasn't bad enough that she lost her husband. Now she's lost her two sons. And so she decides, I didn't grow up in Moab. I don't know anybody here, so I'm going back home. She had heard that the famine was over. 
and there was bread back in the house of bread. And so she looks at her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and she says, I want y'all to go back to your hometown, which is Moab. I don't expect you to uproot and go back home with me. You go back to the gods of your fathers in Moab, and I'm going back to Bethlehem. The Bible says that Orpah kissed Naomi on the cheek, and she headed back to Moab. But Ruth was the complete opposite. She wrapped herself around Naomi's ankles. And she said in verse 16, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, Ruth and Orpah represent two kinds of people in your life, kissers and cleavers. Kissers are the people that'll stay with you as long as you're dancing to their music. As long as you're taking them out to eat. As long as you're kissing their babies. As long as you're dancing to the rhythm of their drum, they're right there with you. But when you decide to do something opposite of what they would choose for you to do, they'll plant a big wet one right on your cheek and go back to Moab. But then you have some cleavers in your life that say come hell or high water. No matter where you go, I'm going with you. If you're laughing, I'll laugh with you. If you're crying, I'll cry with you. If you're rich, I'll hang with you. But if you're poor, I'll hang with you. There are kissers and cleavers in life, and you've got to learn to dismiss the kissers and hang to the cleavers. But there's something special about Ruth. To give you a background of her, she was a Moabitess, which means she was raised to worship the idols of Moab. But when she said to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God, she was saying, I'm changing residences. I'm not going to be a Moabitess anymore. I'm going with you. So there's a couple of things that I want us to see about Ruth tonight. First of all, number one, let's see the problems that hindered her. The problems that hindered her. She did have some problems. Number one, she was under a curse. Remember, I told you she was a Moabitess. Well, Moab was the son of Lot. And Moab was born to Lot by Lot's own daughter. So when you study through the Old Testament, the Moabites were always a thorn in the side of the people of Israel and the curse of God was upon the land and the people of Moab. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3, listen to what God's law said. No Ammonite or Moabite or termite, may enter the Lord's assembly. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, you know, it sounds kind of harsh for Ruth or 
for anybody of that matter to have to carry the curse for something they didn't do. Well, doesn't that sound familiar tonight? Because without Jesus, we are under the curse of sin. I wasn't there in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed and sinned against God and neither were you, but we share in the curse. It's an act that we had nothing to do with. It was committed in the garden in the very beginning. We are not sinners by action. We are sinners by nature. You're not a sinner because of the things you do. You're a sinner because you were born with a nature bent to sin. I have not had to teach my daughter how to say no. She already says it. Uh Uh-uh. And it's cute right now, but I have a feeling there's coming a day when it's not going to be cute anymore. You don't have to teach kids how to disobey. As a matter of fact, in the nursery tonight, I don't know if there are any kids back there or not, but if there are, and they're probably playing with toys and they're preoccupied, but if your nursery worker said to those kids, I'm about to walk out into the sanctuary for a moment, you can play with anything except this one toy, and she puts it up on a shelf. When she walks out of the room, they are going to form an assembly line. And they're going to stand on top of each other to get that toy she told them not to have. They haven't been messing with it until she said not to mess with it because there's something in us that is driven to the forbidden fruit. There's a complex in us that when we're told not to do it, we want to do it. When we see a sign that says wet paint, we want to run our finger across it just to make sure. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So not not only was Ruth cursed, but number two, she was crushed. She was brokenhearted. Moabitess or not, she was a young wife who just lost her husband. She was cursed she was crushed and number three she was condemned she lost her estate because of the death of her husband we lost our estate because of the spiritual death of Adam because just as Ruth's husband was the head of their home Adam is the head of the human race Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 bears that out Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was that one man? Adam. And death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. So Ruth was facing three problems. Sin, the curse. Sorrow, the death of her husband. And ultimate death because of the loss of her estate. 
Now you're probably way ahead of me by now. But Ruth is a type, a symbol, a picture of us. So we've seen the problems that hindered her. Now number two, let's see the purpose that held her. Not only were there problems that hindered her, but number two, there was a purpose that held her. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 14. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. So when Ruth said, Naomi, all due respect, I'm not leaving. Your people are now my people and your God is my God. She was making a choice for Jehovah God over the gods of the Moabites. Big difference between Ruth and Orpah. They had similar backgrounds. They were both from the land of Moab. They were going through similar circumstances. Both of their husbands had died, but one chose God and one chose the idols of Moab. A man can preach behind a podium in an auditorium like this. People can hear the same words feel the same atmosphere and some will come to Jesus while others will not. I want to say right now, if you want God, you can have him tonight. But if you don't want God, there are not enough demons in hell or out of hell to drag you down this aisle. If you want God, there are not enough angels to keep you from coming or to make you come. It's up to you. Demons can't hold you back. Angels can't force you up. You have to make the decision. Ruth made her decision and that was the purpose that held her even through the problems that hindered her. Very quickly, number three, let's see the providence that humbled her. Not only have we seen the problems that hindered her, not only have we seen the purpose that held her, but number three, let's see the providence that humbled her. Something very special happened as soon as she said, your God will be my God. That was not a flippant statement and God did not turn a deaf ear to it. Because as soon as... As she said that, God put his hand on her shoulder and turned her left here and turned her right here and took her a detour here and brought her down this side road over here. The steps 
of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered by the Lord. I'm telling you, nothing in your life happens by accident. Nothing happens by luck or coincidence when you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. He guides you. When he hears you say, God, you are my God, he puts his hand on your shoulder and he puts you right where you need to be when you need to be there. Listen to Ruth chapter 1 and verse 19. The two of them, this is Naomi and Ruth, traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? She said, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Now remember, Naomi meant pleasant. Mara meant Bitter, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. Verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. Listen, she happened. Everybody say happened. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Okay, so now they're getting settled back in Bethlehem. And Ruth looks at Naomi and says, we both can't sit at home. Somebody's got to make a living, so will you let me become a gleaner? In that day, gleaners gleaned the fields. See, the, the harvesters would reap the crop. And poor people were allowed to follow behind them and get all the grain out of the corners and any that they may have looked over or have dropped. You say, well, that seems like a pitiful job. Well, you think about it, Ruth had nothing. I mean, maybe if she had gone back to Moab, somebody would have said, oh, yeah, Ruth, you can come work in the bakery. You can come work at the cleaners. We remember your mom and your dad. But she was in a land where she knew nobody. She had nothing. She's a widow living with her widowed mother-in-law. And so she finds a job picking up this grain that's been left behind and she takes it home and tries to make a living with it the best she knows how. And I love the way the Bible words Ruth chapter 2 and verse 3. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, if you're here tonight and you think that is a coincidence, if you think that's chance, if you think that's just a stroke of luck, you probably think you're here tonight by a stroke of luck. If you think, well, 
that's amazing how that worked out. She sure was lucky. Well, then you must view yourself as a lucky person to be able to make it through another day and be here tonight. But I want to tell you and give you a better word than luck. That is the providence of God. And providence is a whole lot better than luck. Luck just is not this good. Luck does not take a woman who is an idolater out of her homeland, calls her to marry a man who dies, but gives her a relationship with her mother-in-law so strongly that she says, I'm going to uproot and go to Bethlehem, and when I get there, I'm going to find a job in the field of a man who is a wealthy, eligible bachelor. Luck doesn't put you there. There's only one thing that can put you there and it's the sovereign providential hand of God. But it gets better. This is better than lifetime movies. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 4. Later when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem He said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. (laughs) Verse 5, Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? I love this. Boaz comes out into the field and gets the perfunctory stuff out of the way. The Lord bless you. God bless you, brother. How you doing tonight? God bless you, sister. How's it going? Who is that fine-looking thing over there in that field? I mean, y'all do see that, right? It's not just me. He comes up in the field saying, the Lord bless you. And then he breaks into Madonna. Who's that girl? Verse 6. The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked us, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Do you see the providence of God right here? Ruth hasn't even noticed Boaz. She probably doesn't even know that that is the guy who owns the field. But Boaz sure has noticed her. And 1 John 4, 19 says the only reason we love Jesus is because he loved us first. Do you know why I'm married to Carrie Ann Britt? Because I noticed her first. I was preaching a revival. Y'all get ready for my sappy story. I was preaching a revival in Lumberton. And me and my brother were standing in the back in the foyer and this girl walked in. And my mind immediately switched from preaching to dating. I said, goodness gracious. And I told my brother, I said, I will get them digits tonight. So I went up to the pew she was at the pew was here she wasn't facing me and as I go I trip over my feet 
and catch myself on the back of the pew that she's sitting on and she looks up and I said, hey, how are you? And she says, I'm good, how are you? And she stands up and goes to shake my hand, but I go in for a hug and I said, I'm good, how are you? And then I'm like, I just asked her that. But she's sitting on the third row tonight. I did something right. And you ask her what she prayed in 2012 when she heard me as a preacher and I didn't know who she was. She prayed, Lord, give me a husband like Tyler Jernigan. You better be careful what you ask for. She got the whole thing. So by the providence of God, Ruth comes into this particular field. Out of all the fields she could have gleaned from, she's in Boaz's field. Owned by the most eligible bachelor and grace starts working on Boaz's heart. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one. But stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. That's special treatment. Verse 10. And she fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor with you? So that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of us ought to be face down on our faces tonight before the cross of Jesus Christ saying, Lord, what have I done to find grace in your sight that you would notice me even though I was an outsider, I was an outcast, I was away and estranged from God and yet you have shown loving kindness and mercy to me. Ruth recognizes that this is an act of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Ruth did nothing to gain his attention. She wasn't wearing a flashy dress She had a bonnet on. She had clothes on that you would work in the field in. There was nothing about her that made her stand out above any other women. But what happened back in Moab when she said, your God will be my God. When she said that, God said, I'm going to make sure that I put you in the field of the most eligible bachelor. And I'm going to make sure that he gets eyes only for you. And he won't rest until you are his it's an act of grace so the problems that hindered her the purpose that held her the providence that humbled her she's on her face and now number four the person who helped her you know by now his name is Boaz and if Ruth is a picture of us Boaz is a picture of Jesus. Look at Ruth chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. 
I hope y'all are not bored tonight. I find it easier to tell the story than... Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Ruth's mother in law Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go to the mall, girl. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. Now let's back up just a few moments. Boaz was a relative of Naomi's family. He was a relative of Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband, who died in Moab. Remember, Ruth married one of Elimelech's sons that died in Moab. So Boaz is a relative of Ruth's father-in-law. Now, I've got to bring some Old Testament law into this real quick, but it makes the story even greater. If a Jew had lost his estate... Elimelech, for example, he's lost his estate through his death. Even if a Jew had gone into bankruptcy, a relative could buy his estate back for him. In other words, let's say that I am a Jewish man and I go bankrupt and I lose everything. I can't get it back, but the nearest kinfolk I've got can. They can go as Tyler Jernigan and pay my debt off. Just anyone couldn't do it. It had to be a relative. Leviticus 25, 25. If your brother becomes destitute and sells part of his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his brother has sold. To redeem a man's bankrupt possessions, you had to be his kinsman. We don't call them kinsmen now. We call them kinfolk. Now, not only could a kinsman redeem his brother's lost estate, he could also marry his brother or relative's widow if he died. Deuteronomy 25 and 5, when brothers live on the same property and one of them dies without a son, because you needed a son to carry on the family name, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family, but her brother-in-law is to take her as a wife. Verse 6, the first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother, so his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Well, Pastor Tyler, what does that have to do with this story? It was the law of that day. If a man lost his estate, a relative could buy back his estate on his behalf. And if a man died without children, the relative could marry his widow and raise his children for him. Ruth knows the law. She knows what the law states. So she goes and does exactly what Naomi says. She goes and buys some perfume. And she buys a new dress. And she goes to the hairstylist and gets a new hairdo. And she shows up at the winnowing, at the threshing floor. And look at what happens in verse 6 of chapter 3. 
She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? (laughs) I would have to. I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing. Listen, for you are a family redeemer. Verse 10, then he said, well, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So now we've got a twist. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, but there was a kinsman nearer related than he was. And the law was whoever is the nearest is the one that can redeem the property. So Boaz can't just step in and say, yeah, I'll do it. He's got to yield to the nearer kinsman. So let's see what happens in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1 the next morning. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. He went to McDonald's. He went to Hardy's where all the people were hanging out and all the town news could be heard. And soon the family redeemer that Boaz was talking about came by. And Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Verse 2. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I'm next in line. Verse 5, or the end of verse 4, I want to redeem it, he said. So it sounds like our story's mixed up now. Because Ruth is a picture of us and Boaz is a picture of Jesus, but now there's something standing between us and Jesus. It's a nearer kinsman who says, yes, I want to redeem it, but I love what Boaz... I'm telling you, Boaz was smitten. In verse 5, he said, On the day you buy the field from Naomi, by the way, You will acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. Listen to verse 6. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it. In other words, I want the land. I don't want the wife. And Boaz buttered him up by telling him about the land. 
And when he said, oh yeah, I want the land, Boaz said, and by the way, when you get the land, you're getting a wife. And he threw in there that she was a Moabitess. He knew what he was doing. And the nearer kinsman said, I, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. Hear those words. I can't redeem it. Is this other kinsman a type of anything? Yes. Ruth represents us. Boaz represents Jesus. This other unnamed kinsman represents Adam. Adam couldn't redeem what he lost in the garden. See, this nearer kinsman said, I can't redeem it. And if it were up to Adam to redeem what he did, he would say to you tonight, I can't do it. He couldn't even clothe his own nakedness in the garden. He tried to hide from God because of the guilt and the shame. If he couldn't take care of his own self, he sure couldn't redeem us. So Ruth chapter 4 and verse 7. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. Verse 10, I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. So let me start bringing this down to a close. What's up with the sandal? What's up with taking your shoe off and giving it to the other person and saying, now you have the right to redeem it? It meant I'm standing in your shoes. And you're standing in mine. There was a poor slave woman who had gotten saved in a home meeting. The next day, some of the servants... And the house of the master heard and began to mock her. And they said, well, tell us how it feels since you've got religion. And she looked back at them and said, I can't really explain how it feels. It almost feels like I'm standing in Jesus' shoes. And he's standing in mine. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He took my sin so that I could have His righteousness. Jesus on the cross, He took the shoe of Adam. On the cross, 
There was a transaction. Adam gave his sandal to Jesus and said, I can't redeem it. I've lost the human race. I've plunged the human race into sin and I can't redeem it. So here's my shoes. And Jesus became what Adam was so that we could become what he is. Pastor Kevin, would you come and play softly? Now, in order to be a kinsman redeemer, there were three things that were necessary. Number one, he had to be a near kinsman. Have you ever wondered why Jesus became a man? Have you ever wondered why he undoned his royal diadem? And came to this spinning blue marble planet through a 14 year old virgin girl while an angel's song bounced off of valley walls. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Have you ever wondered why Jesus became lower than the angels and was laid on swaddling clothes? Rags that were used to wipe off animals and the creator was lullabied by his creation. Have you ever wondered why? John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So that he could be a near kinsman. He didn't sit up among the ivory palaces in glory on his sapphire throne in heaven and slide your prescription up under a three-inch glass for you to fix yourself. He came down to where you are. But not only did he have to be near number two, he had to be willing. I've heard sermons through the years that made it sound like Jesus didn't have a choice. He had to come. That's not true. In the councils of glory before the foundations of the world were laid and set in order and before the stars were flung into their sockets and before God took the world and made nothing out of everything and nothing became something and he hangs the earth suspended in space. Jesus says, I will go. As the eternal lamb led to the slaughter. He had to be near. He had to be willing. Number three, he had to be able. Boaz was rich. If he had been poor, he couldn't have redeemed anything, but he was able. Can I tell you tonight, Jesus is able. He's able to save you from sin. He's able to break addictions. He's able to overcome depression. He's able to do what you need him to do. Very quickly, I'm trying to hurry. The problems that hindered her, the purpose that held her, the providence that humbled her, the person who helped her, and number five, finally, the position that honored her. She starts out in our story as an outsider, cursed, crushed, condemned, 
But the richest, most eligible bachelor in Bethlehem fell in love with an outsider when she happened to be working in his field. Ruth 4.13 says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. The maid of Moab married the bachelor of Bethlehem. Guys, this story opened with a funeral and it closes with a wedding. It opens with a famine and it ends with a feast. So let me show you one more thing and then I really am done, Pastor, I promise. Let's go back to Matthew 1 where we started and see how this all ties in. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now stop right there. Do you know who Tamar was? Tamar was a woman who dressed as a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law. But here's her name in the genealogy that brought Jesus to the world. Verse 5, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was a harlot. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered King David and both Mary and Joseph can trace their lineage back to King David. They brought Jesus to the world. Pastor Tyler, what's that got to do with the story tonight? If God can use people like that to bring His Son to the world, why can't He use you? Stand with me, please. My favorite hymn of the church... The last stanza of that hymn was written by a man who was believed to be mentally deranged. He put it better than any theologian that ever lived. He said, if we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk, every tree on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. He loves you tonight. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it. I don't care how long you persisted in it. He's near. He's willing. And He is able. Father, thank You for Your living Word tonight. Father, I pray You take something that I've said and let it find good ground to rest upon. You told us that Your Word would not return void. Father, I thank you for that. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, whatever their needs may be. Lord, if there's one here tonight that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, would you let them see the beauty of your redeeming love tonight? Lord, I pray for those that desire a deeper walk with you, a closer walk.
Father, I pray for those who have a heavy heart tonight, either for themselves or for somebody else. And tonight the burden is so strong they almost didn't come to church. Father, let them find the peace of God that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, every minute.